You're listening to Full Steam Ahead, a podcast about Purdue with Adam Bartels. All right, welcome back to Full Steam Ahead, a podcast about Purdue. In this episode, we are talking to Professor of Anthropology, Dr. Michelle Buzan from Purdue. Doctor, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining the podcast. So here we are uh, nearing the end of September, and it's uh, Archaeology Month in Indiana, so only fitting to have you on. As you're a professor of anthropology, you're also a bioarchaeologist. So kind of fitting to get this in before the end of the month here, just kind of celebrate what Indiana's celebrating and uh, the work you are doing up there at Purdue. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been at Purdue and what uh, department you're in and all those kinds of good things. So I'm a professor of anthropology at Purdue, and I started at Purdue in 2007 as an assistant professor. I was promoted and tenured and became an associate professor, and then a couple of years ago became, uh, became a full professor. Okay. And so I've been at Purdue for all of my academic career as a, as a faculty member, moved here from a position um, in Canada and did my, my PhD work at University of California, Santa Barbara. Okay. So you're a professor of anthropology, but also a bioarchaeologist. Can you kind of define those two, anthropology and archaeology, and how they're maybe similar and yet different? Sure. So anthropology is a really broad field that really looks at humans from lots of different perspectives. So we have cultural anthropology that focuses on living humans, biological anthropology, looking at the the human body, archaeology, looking at humans in the past, and linguistic anthropology that studies language. And so there's a wide range of disciplines, a wide range of specialties within anthropology. Bioarchaeology is sort of a subset of archaeology. So I do look at people in the past, Mm -hmm. and most archaeologists have a specialty, a special type of material that they specialize in. So some people uh, study metal artifacts, some study ceramics. My specialty is the skeleton. And so I excavate and analyze skeletons from archaeological sites to learn information about people in the past, specifically things like um, the kinds of diseases that they lived with, how healthy they were, what kinds of uh, experiences they had during life. Cool. And what kind of got you interested in that and how long you've been studying this? So I went to undergraduate interested in history, but I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to major in. And I didn't really know that anthropology existed as a major. I ended up taking a class during my first year and realized that it encompassed a lot of my interests. I, as I mentioned, I had interest in history already. My father's a medical doctor. I had interest in, in health. And I didn't realize that there was a major that I could combine these sorts of things. And so I started taking more classes. I did my first archaeological field school during the summer after my first year of college and really, really enjoyed it. And and as I took more classes, realized the kinds of things that I was specifically interested in. And I took this class on the human skeleton called osteology, Mm -hmm. the study of the human skeleton, and realized that that was really where I could put all of my interests together so I could continue to look at people in the past. I could study health. I could study culture and how culture affects biology and health. And um, also an opportunity to learn about people around the world. Cool. And so you've gotten to do some active uh, dig sites. Can you tell us about those and how long you've uh, been visiting that? 
Sure. So my main research has taken place in northern Sudan at the site of Tombos. And I first went to this site and started working at this site when I was a master's student at UC Santa Barbara. And I took the opportunity to go with a professor who was starting a new field project and was in need of somebody with expertise in human skeletons. At the time, I didn't necessarily know that it would turn into uh, work that I'd be doing for decades, but <laughs> it looked it sounded like a, a great opportunity. Yeah. And uh, when I was there, we found many more things than we were expecting. And the research materials that came out of the site formed the basis of my PhD dissertation. And it continued to be such a rich site that we are still working there almost 20 years later, and we still have many things that we want to find. That's cool. And talk about some of the things you found. Sure. So this site is a colonial cemetery and town that was established by the ancient Egyptians during the New Kingdom period. So that's about 1500 BC or so. And we had some information about the site, um, some artifacts, some inscriptions, but we didn't really know very much about how this colonial town um, operated. And when we started excavating in the cemetery, we thought that we would find some burials of Egyptians who moved from Egypt to Nubia and and set up this administrative town. And we did certainly find that, but we found so much more. We found that those immigrant Egyptians were interacting with the local Nubians and the ways that they were expressing themselves in terms of their cultural identity, their ethnic identity changed over time. So there's particular Egyptian features and practices and Nubian features and practices, and we see them become combined and blended over time in ways that nobody had documented before. That's so cool. You were also part of a team that also discovered and has been able to analyze extensively uh, uh, ancient horse burial as well, right? Yeah, that was a really exciting find <laughs> and definitely unexpected. We do not have a lot of animals buried with people at the at this site, okay. and uh, we didn't necessarily expect to find it. Sometimes there are animals that have uh, been introduced to the tombs much later. They're you know modern animals. But this one, it was down a few meters. Uh, We started to excavate it and and realize that it was actually an ancient animal. It had artifacts with it that were associated with these cultures. There was a burial shroud. There was um, an iron horse bit uh, that looked like it was part of a chariot. And so this was a really unexpected and rare and exciting find to have the intentional burial of a horse, which shows how important this horse was um, to to the people who, who buried it. And um, just, just something that was, you know, new and exciting for us. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you're mostly finding, I think, what human skeletons from what I've read yeah. and, and to stumble upon this, like you were saying, this horse had it must have some importance to be buried the way it was. Mm-hmm. How did you guys end up in, in Tombos in Sudan? So my collaborator, student Stuart Tyson Smith at the University of California, Santa Barbara, uh, is an Egyptological archaeologist, and he had been interested in starting a new project and was doing survey in northern Sudan and identified this site as a, as a possible um, good location to, to do some work to understand the Egyptian empire in Nubia. 
And and so the results of that survey, which showed there were some pottery that dated to the mm. to the New Kingdom period and some evidence of pyramids and other kinds of tombs, gave an, an indication that this might be a good site to investigate this. Cool. And you've kind of mentioned some of the neat things you found and finding more than you ever expected. Talk about some of the most amazing things you've discovered that stand out in your mind. So I think documenting that... Nubians were displaying their cultural identity during a time when they were occupied by Egypt was really exciting for us. Uh, there had been very little documented on the Nubian side of, of this interaction because Egyptians have a lot of texts, but Nubians di- didn't have um, texts that provided their, their view on the situation. And so we thought that most people were taking on these Egyptian cultural features because they were being occupied by Egypt. So it was really exciting to find a number of individuals who are using these these Nubian cultural practices. Um, this was in terms of the way that they uh, laid their body in the tomb, their artifacts, the, the tomb structures themselves. And we thought that most of the Nubians at the site would be showing those cultural features after the Egyptian empire faded away and was no longer in control. But what we found is that they are actually uh, continuing to use their their Nubian cultural features at the same time that that Egypt Egypt is ruling this area. So that was one of the the most exciting things. Um, In some of the more recent years, we have excavated in tombs where we have found more evidence of elite mummification practices. So we found specialized artifacts that have spells from the Book of the Dead on them. We have Mm. a set of canopic jars. Canopic jars are jars that are specially made for organs that are removed during the mummification process. This is something that's relatively rare and usually only used by elite individuals. So that was pretty exciting to find um, all sorts of different burial inclusions. People had cosmetic boxes. They they had all sorts of things that you would want to have with you in the afterlife. That was the, the philosophy of, of what you put in a grave. And so we found lots of different kinds of examples of, of these sorts of artifacts now that we've been working there several seasons. Wow. And you um, you take some students with you along on some of these trips, right? Yes, I've had graduate students with me in the field. Okay, cool. When you and I, I saw a video on the Purdue website that I'll um, that uh, you guys share some of your stories and show some of the things you found, which I thought was really neat. So uh, I will uh, include a link to those on the uh, podcast website once I get this episode posted, um, so our listeners can also see that and not just hear about Great. it, but I can see some of that stuff. Um, when you decide to go like to Tombos or, you know, or working on a dig site, what all goes into that? To, what are all the steps involved? So probably the first step is, is a plan of what you want to investigate. And uh, based on research that's been already done in the area, you come up with some idea of, of what uh, um, and a, hy- a hypothesis of what, what you would be looking for, what you, what you expect to find, what kinds of research questions that you can answer. And then the, the next step really is, is obtaining funding for your research. And this is a pretty lengthy process. Okay. Um, we have been very successful in obtaining funding from the National Science Foundation as well as National Geographic and some other um, smaller grants um, from various agencies. So once we've secured the funding, then the next steps are to make the logistical plan for for doing fieldwork. 
Now, northern Sudan is a place that is incredibly hot in the summer. Okay. And so most archaeology teams do not work in the summer. It's, you know, 130 <laughs> degrees. Oh, wow. Locals who would be working with us have no interest in working in the summer. And so we have uh, winter, late, late fall or winter field seasons, okay. which take some planning in terms of my teaching schedule and my collaborators teaching schedule and um, when students are available to go so so those those things take a lot of a lot of planning as well so once we've you know figured out times to go and we've secured funding then there is paperwork both on the the u.s side for making arrangements um, getting permits in sudan making plans for staff people to work with us, letting the local community know that we're coming and that um, we're interested in hiring people to, to work on our projects. Um, we have also included some students from Sudan and some other professionals who, who wish to gain experience, so coordinating uh, the large group of people who have helped on our project. Cool. And then how long do you typically stay on a site? Usually our field seasons are around six weeks or okay. so. So not necessarily something you can easily squeeze in during like a Christmas break when you mentioned kind of trying to take some students over there, right? No, that <laughs> would be tough because okay. it's, it's, it takes a long time to get there. Yeah. And then when you, when you get in the country, you need to deal with getting permits. And then the site of Tombos is a day's drive from the capital, so get up there. Um, every 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 season when we excavate, we backfill, so put dirt back into oh, wow. what we've already done in order to protect the features okay. and um, protect the sites from from any disturbance and looting and and really from from the wind as well because the the desert is is very windy. And so in order to start on an area that we've already worked on, we have to remove all that dirt that we just put in. <laughs> and so all of those things take a while to sort wow. of get get started and. Uh, and get going for the season. Jeez, a lot of work goes into that. Um, when was the last time you've been there? The, our last season was 2017. Okay. And are you able to bring stuff back with you, or does that have to stay there? So the human skeletal remains are exported to my lab at Purdue. Okay. We are also able to take some portion of the ceramics that go to my collaborator's lab in Santa Barbara, and most of the nicer artifacts stay in Sudan, either at the site, in our storerooms, or in the museum in Khartoum. Cool. So what kind of um, analyzing or research have you been able to do on the stuff you get to bring back? So it's, it's really nice to be able to have my research collection at Purdue because it means that I can work on it during the entire year, mm -hmm. not just when I'm, when I'm at the site. And, and so the... Typical things that we do are first do an inventory of what's been excavated. So record all the pieces of every burial um, in terms of, you know, which bones are present. Do some basic analyses to give us information about how old the person was when um, they were when they died, how uh, if they were male or female, mm. if there are any signs on the bones um, that would give us an indication of health and disease. I've also done some strontium isotope analysis. Um, strontium is an element that is incorporated into the local geology, and um, that element is then present in your teeth and bones. And by analyzing the strontium in 
in the skeleton, you can get a sense of where somebody grew up and if it's different from the local area. So I have used strontium isotope analysis to identify the individuals who may have been immigrants and not local to that area. So, you know, looking at, at basic demographic information like, like age and sex, information about health and disease, and then combining the information in the skeleton with what we've learned through the excavation of burials. So what body position was somebody in? What kind of artifacts did they have with them? Were they buried in a coffin? Did they have a Nubian-style bed? These sorts of things to try to understand people's uh, cultural identity and cultural affiliations. Wow. And you uh, plan to go back in 2020? Did I read that correctly? Yes, that's our plan. Okay, cool. Um, any other current or future projects that you're hoping to work on, whether it's in Tombos or somewhere else? I have been speaking with some collaborators who also work in Sudan on some different time periods, and we're interested in understanding the Christian period in Nubia. So okay. there was a, a fairly long Christian period in Nubia, that um, was several hundred years, and we're going to work using strontium isotope analysis and mortuary practices to understand how Christianity spread to Nubia and understand how it was adopted by the the local population. Oh, wow. That's cool. I'll be interested to hear uh, what you find in that research for sure. Um, We kind of mentioned at the beginning uh, that September is Archaeology Month here in Indiana. I know it's also celebrated uh, this month as well in other states. Um, and I will also include a link to some of the events that, uh, the DNR is running throughout, uh, the state or, um, for the rest of the month, there's still a few events left from your perspective, Michelle, talk about why archeology span is important to us here in Indiana. So I think archeology span is important for people in Indiana, but, but, but really everybody to learn about our history and, you know, we think about what we learn in, regarding history in school and from history books, but that's just such a minuscule portion of all of human history and the millennia that, you know, millions of years, really, that, that the human species has has been in terms of our human ancestors and, and modern humans. And so archaeology is a way to understand all of those people that are not written about in the history books, which is the majority of, of the people in the past. So it's a way for us to understand differences between groups in the past. And, you know, people are multifaceted. We think about our our world today and all of the issues in our world. And these kinds of issues that we are dealing with require interdisciplinary teams, information about similarities and differences, cultural values, um, to take, you know, a complex approach in solving these problems. And so I see archaeology as a way for us to learn about humanity in a more broad way than than some of our more recent tools. Cool. And when you're talking to your students or other groups about this, what, what inspires you when you're talking about anthropology and archaeology? So one of one of the most inspiring aspects, I, I think, of being an anthropology professor is to have students say to me, I never thought about it that way before. I, I find that to be really rewarding for somebody's yeah. eyes to be opened and, and to realize that people are, are different from what they've experienced in life. And I think, you know, learning about people, traveling, going to different places opens your eyes to the vast range of, of human diversity and all of the wonderful things that people in this world bring. And so, you know, 
we we really think about uh, human difference and the world being full of human difference and how we can deal with those those differences between humans and use anthropological data and perspectives to identify and assess and and help to solve uh, today's problems. Cool. And how important is it for you for the students to get either in the labs or be able to take one of these trips to to kind of get hands on and, and see it firsthand? I think it really inspires students mm-hmm. to be able to do that. Um, I I come from a multicultural family. My father is an immigrant from the Philippines. I grew up traveling to other countries, and I, I tell people I was, you know, kind of born an anthropologist, sort of growing up in the, in that environment. And I think that when people get outside their comfort zone, get outside what they're used to, they they recognize so much more in um, what they're able to do in their lives. Um, students have really enjoyed being able to take part in uh, laboratory research. Uh, even though I, I don't tend, I don't usually bring undergraduates to the field with me. I do have many undergraduates working in my lab with skeletal remains, and they have opportunities to find out what people were experiencing in the past. And um, there are many great study abroad opportunities and other um, types of trips uh, by my colleagues in anthropology that can give students these chances to to see more of the world and, and what people are like. That's so cool. Dr. Buzan, thank you so much for your time. And as we wrap up here, if, if our listeners are encouraged or excited about this or want to learn more about anthropology, archaeology, and, and the research you're doing, uh, where could they f- uh, find some of this information? We have a lot of great information on the Department of Anthropology website uh, for Purdue University. I have my own website that lists information about the work I've been doing, and we have a website for the Tombos Archaeological Site where they can learn about the research that we've done, and that's the place where we post blog updates during the field season to learn about the things that are just coming out of the ground. Sweet. And I assume the best way is probably just Google Purdue Dr. Michelle Buzan or Purdue Anthropology. Yeah, you'll find it all. Sweet. Awesome. Hey, doctor, thank you so much for your time and uh, uh, good luck on your continued research and excited to hear uh, more of your discoveries. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Boiler up. A reminder, you can follow the Full Steam Ahead podcast on Twitter at Full Steam Pod. You can also listen, like, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Thanks again for listening to the Full Steam Ahead podcast. Until next time, I'm Adam Bartels.